Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. Good morning, it's season three. It is uh, week three. Where are we at? I don't even know. It's seven o'clock in the morning, <laughs> Vancouver time, <laughs> and I'm the one <laughs> who organized this interview today, and I am speaking with the lovely Jesse Sage who is hailing all the way from Pittsburgh again. We're getting a, a lot of love from Pittsburgh lately. Shout out to Adrienne Rose, who actually, you two both happen to know each other, which I think is really freaking cool. We'll definitely get into that in a bit. My name is Steph Sia, AKA Kimchi on stage. But obviously we know that stages are kind of on pause right now, at least where I am located. So you won't find me there, but you can definitely find me online. I make content on OnlyFans. I used to be a former sugar baby. And that's the amount of, um, I guess the extent of sex work that I do currently. But I'm not all that interesting, but I do have a really super interesting guest on today, which I'm really excited for. who I just discovered actually last week when I was just on Twitter. And I forgot to ask your pronouns. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. She, her. She, her. Perfect. I never want to, I never want to assume, but yeah. um, Yeah. We have Jesse Sage onto the show who is an incredible human being and a pillar in this community. And I'm so ashamed that I like just found out about you now. So so (laughs) seriously, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I felt like I hit the jackpot when I, I, when I started stalking you. <laughs> but Jessie does, um, she's an independent content creator, um, as I said, uh, based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And she is also a phone sex operator on Nightflirt. I know we haven't talked about that in a hot minute, so we're going to definitely get into that today. And she also is the host of Peep Show podcast. She's also the editor for Peep Show magazine and also co-founder of Peep Show Media. And these are all sex work based media companies and and just media outlets, which I think is super incredible. And we're going to get all into that later. But I think I've rambled on long enough. Jesse Sage, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you are so welcome. And I'm just really thrilled that you got back to me so quickly and like, let's record this weekend. I'm just like, ah, and you started like catching up on your podcast. You're like listen to everything and read everything. <laughs> you don't have to research. I'll just talk. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm also excited for because your podcast has been really awesome. Like it, it almost reminds me of... um. Um, like strange bedfellows or like unzipped back when I used to listen to that back in the day when that was still going on but I'm I'm really glad that I found a new podcast that I can just like dive into and binge like 20 episodes in a week (laughs) oh good but how did how did I do I like doing it yeah no it definitely shows and uh again like the work that you do for our community is just really really outstanding and incredible and I cannot wait to like learn about you and your entire story your motivations everything (laughs) but how did I do for your intro was that okay yeah that was great (laughs) I mean I always allow my guests to give themselves their own description their own intro so can you explain to the audience who you are and what it is that you do 
Yeah, sure. I mean, your your description was really good. I I guess I usually just say that I'm a Pittsburgh-based sex worker and writer. So um, writing is also the big part of my career. And those, I don't know, those are probably the main things. I do do a lot of forms of sex work and I do, and I write, and I write about exclusively about the sex industry and about sex workers. And my whole purpose of writing is to tell stories and writing and the podcast and the website is to tell stories from the perspective of workers, like a very bottom up approach from the people who are on the ground doing the work. So um, I don't see a lot of that. And so I, that's, that's what I do. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So important. And yeah, I, of course, I mean, you just, you just say it so eloquently and so simplistic, like, oh yeah, writing and sex work, but it's like huge. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot of work. And it is work. It is a lot of work. Yeah, for sure. So like, I I can't wait to get to know you because again, there's only so much I can read on the internet, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I've been, I should say that I've been in this for about seven years. I got into it very much by dabbling at the very beginning with my partner, um, who started camming before he met me. And then I, yeah, so most people don't, don't think that, but I got into it because I, I have kind of a strange route. I was actually in a PhD program and I dropped out of the PhD program four years into it at the same time I was getting a divorce. And so my whole life just like turned upside down. Like I left something I'd been like a career I'd been working on for a long time. And then I left a marriage that I was in for a long time and kind of just started my life again at 36. So I also got into sex work like much later than most people. So I was 36 and I started dating somebody who's now my husband, but I started dating him and he was doing camming and it was actually a world I knew like nothing about. (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't even really know what camming was. He like explained it to me and it just wasn't like really part of my social world or anything. And so Mm -hmm. I became kind of curious, especially since I didn't have, I wasn't sure like where I was going with my own like career Mm -hmm. and even in this relationship. And then after talking a lot, I started doing some cam shows with him. And then we did that kind of very like part-time while we were working on other things for a couple of years. And then I um, started doing night flirt and fell in love with that. And at the same time ended up leaving my, I got this terrible like office job and I got furloughed (laughs) from the office job like five years ago or something. Mm, And I saw this as like the biggest blessing. Like they were were like, (laughs) not furloughed, but I got laid off and they gave me like, they're like, we're very sorry. Here's a three month severance. And I was like, awesome. So (laughs) I decided at that point just to dive into full-time sex work. And so since then, this has been my whole career. It was like a, for the, the first two years, it was like more of a dabble that I just did with my partner on and off. And I had another straight job. And then Mm -hmm. I, when I got laid off, I just, dove into it and it's been a really really amazing it's been an amazing journey because I built a like my partner and I built this podcast and the whole peep show thing and then Mm. I've built on like the side of that like my own writing and sex work career so it's been it's been great it changed my whole life like wow really I can't imagine this not being my life now so I'm never going back to a job. I'm going to make this work until I'm like, (laughs) until I'm like 90. We'll see how it goes. I 
love hearing that. And I did not know that whole backstory too. So then that your husband was actually the one who got into, who's already doing a sex work, who's already camming. And then, and then you not having any insight at all to this wild world. (laughs) And it's so funny because I think back on that and I'm like embarrassed by the things that I thought at the beginning, like he did, um, his his backstory is that he was working on a PhD and he did his dissertation on camming. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, and so he was also like interviewing a lot of cam models for his dissertation at, while also working as a cam model. And I remember at the beginning of our relationship feeling almost like intimidated by that. Like, oh, you're going to be talking to all these hot women mm. who are in the sex industry. And um, that seems so silly to me now. like that I would see all these sex workers as a threat and not Mm -hmm. as like colleagues you know and people that I work with and an industry that I'm like very much a part of it was so foreign to me at the beginning that I was like didn't even know what to make of it and totally yeah oh my gosh I have so many questions even (laughs) even just with this beginning part of the the episode today well because sex work wasn't in your circle or at least like not in your world at all what were your attitudes if you can remember back then (laughs) rewind rewind yeah if if you can rewind back then what kind of attitudes did um, what kind of attitudes did you have um towards sex work was it negative positive neutral or how do you feel it was just neutral like I don't think I had I mean with the exception of like being in a new relationship and being like, oh, all these hot women are going to, like, steal my man, uh, which was ridiculous. Um, (laughs) It really is. um, And and embarrassing to me now because that also, like, belies, like, some sort of stigma, like, that sex workers are, like, always, like, sexually open, which is not true at all. Yes. Um, You know, that it's not just a job that people do. Um, And so that's a little bit embarrassing because I think there's a a thread of like stigma there. But other than that, I think that um, I, I think the fact that it was like so foreign to me also meant that I didn't hold a lot of negative views about it either. I just like Mm -hmm. always thought, I remember when I was in high school, my uncle one time said, who was in law school at the time, he said, you know, how come we're allowed to sell whatever we want and we're allowed to have sex with whoever we want, but we're not allowed to sell sex. And at that point, I think I was like 16. I was like, right. That doesn't make any sense. And like, (laughs) you know, and so I remember that, but I remember just thinking like, I don't know why people can't sell sex in whatever capacity they're selling sex. But beyond that, I didn't, it's not something I ever pursued or anything. Mm -hmm. I, you know, that's a little bit, um, there's a, there's a thread of that. That's, um, more complicated though because when I was I mean I always thought that about sex work but when I was in my PhD program I was doing feminist philosophy and Mm. feminist philosophers have a lot of opinions about sex work and talk about um talk about sex workers in a way that once I started dating PJ and like interacting with sex workers didn't at all seem to square with like the reality of sex workers lives and so Um, so I didn't come in totally blind. I came in like with an openness towards sex work, but then also with a knowledge that like many people weren't open to sex work. And so Mm -hmm. I think that trying to like square those and then have my own experiences and then measure my own experiences against what I'd been hearing on all sides, I think was a, it was like a long process that I think I, um, that I kind of take for granted now because I'm so embedded in this but Mm -hmm. if I were to think back it was there was more 
like wrestling with like, what does all of this mean? Which was mm-hmm. never coming from a place of like anti-sex work. Cause I never had that, but it was coming from a like, why are these people saying this? And why are these people saying this and mm-hmm. what is actually going on? So. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Really cool. And really insightful too. I think that you, you're really in a, in a great position and the way that you kind of looked at it too, because there's so many, it, it can go in so many different directions yeah. <laughs> as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> you really just go yeah. down the rabbit hole. But when you first started camming with your partner, PJ, was that, was it really hard at all for you to get into the work or how did he, how did he even approach you in terms of like, Hey, I want to come on cam with me. No, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't want me to come on cam with him. And oh. I think, um, I mean, not in a, not in that way, but no. I think he was nervous about like, what if it's like, it's a big deal to be naked on the internet. You know, yeah. it's something that you can't take back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there, and I was in the middle of a, I was still in the middle of a divorce, in the middle of a custody uh, situation. And so I think that he was thoughtful enough to be like, to not be like, hey, do you want to do this? Because, you know, it was Mm -hmm. never like, we'll make more money as a couple than I will as like a single guy. It was nothing like that. It was more like he was doing this thing. And I was like, I don't really know anything about that. I would like to know something about it. And he was like, "Mm -hmm." Mm. it's a big deal (laughs) (laughs) he was like I don't want you to do it just because I'm doing it or just because you think it might be fun like it's something that we really need to think about and think about all of the implications of and this is still something that like I tell people because I don't know about you but at the beginning of the pandemic like I got tons of messages from people who weren't sex workers that were like how do you get into this how do you create an only fans I want to be an online sex worker and my advice was always like, um, no, I would know <laughs> not because I have a problem with sex work or not because I don't like this life, but because it's a life that will change you totally change everything about your world and the way that you relate to other people. And I don't think that's something that you take lightly because it's not something that you can go back on. So I think you have to be it's not a job you can leave, I guess I should say. And there's a lot of people who exit the sex industry, but like it stays with you. Like you can't Mm -hmm. erase everything that's on the internet and people's attitudes towards you will always be what they are. And so, so I understand why he came at my interest with a little bit of like hesitation, Mm -hmm. but now it is what it is. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Understandably so. I mean, I think he did a great job in kind of, not prepping you, but, you know, giving you that insight, like, hey, you know, like, maybe really, really give this a thought before we dive right into this, you know, both feet right. in, head first, you know. Right, I yeah. think that's that's actually so, so thoughtful and, and caring, too, because, again, like you, I had a lot of people ask me how to start an OnlyFans and, you know, where should I sell my content and not even asking, should I become a sex burger? It's just like, oh, I, I like, where can I get – the, the most money the fastest yeah <laughs> yeah and you're like there is no fast money here yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly I'm just like what are you even asking me <laughs> I would love that if like I just put something on OnlyFans and like money fell from the sky but that's not exactly how it works <laughs> no it's not and then we've, we, I've covered this on so many episodes too but yeah like there's a lot of work that goes 
behind it and you know like the marketing you know reaching out and also just editing your content making sure that's like wiped of all data and all this stuff there's just a lot of stuff that people just don't don't realize so Mm -hmm. yeah and uh, I guess another uh, question or a thought that came to mind too so you entered the the sex work industry at age 36 Mm -hmm. wow yeah I'm 43 now yeah oh wow what oh my gosh (laughs) What? I would have never guessed. <laughs> yeah, I'm 43. That's incredible. Um, and I'm very um, open about that. It's funny, a client I the other day that. was like, are you really in your 40s? And I was like, why would I lie about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know that that's the best marketing strategy. And I was like, I don't know. Some people like older women. And I was like, okay, sure. But like, yes, I'm really in my 40s. <laughs> well, it's crazy. I mean, like. I guess that person made a, made a great point because you don't, well, one, you don't really hear a lot of people entering the sex work industry at that age. And also it's a lot of people lying about their age as well or feel insecure yeah. about mm-hmm. that. Um, did you want to speak a little bit about that and your experience? Yeah, actually, it's pretty like important to me, which I guess is why I don't lie about it, because I feel like one of the things that... One of the things that I was really interested in when I first got into it, and I think maybe this is because I was so much older when I got into it, is like whether there was space for me in the industry and like Mm. what representation of like older women or like in my case too, because I often get um, categorized as like a BBW, older women, bigger women, Mm -hmm. um, moms, like people who you don't, we have this like societal perception of like, uh, 22 year old thin white women, you know, yes. and those are who the successful sex workers are. And I think that I was really curious and really interested in, first of all, like in desire, like what it is that people desire. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in just their, like the politics of representation and like who's allowed in and who's, uh, who can be here. And, and I think that for me, what I found, especially like at the beginning was that the things that I was really self-conscious about when I first came in, like the things about my body or the things about, I don't know, just myself in general, were actually things that like clients and customers really liked. Mm -hmm. And, and I found that through this experience, First of all, of camming, and I have to say, I, I don't actually like camming. <laughs> I've, you know, it's funny because this is like my my entry into the sex industry, but I very rarely cam. I, I just don't particularly like it. But <laughs> I um, I found that like doing that and also being like confronted with my own body, and that's the same in creating content because I do like creating content. Like mm-hmm. when you edit, you're talking about editing, you're like staring at your body (laughs) watching yourself like be a sexual person or be a naked person and I think that kind of being able to like step outside myself and experience experience that and see myself like through the eyes of other people has Mm -hmm. been a really eye-opening experience for me in a in a way that's been really positive because it's allowed me to see that like there's a whole range of things that people like and and it's not just about external validation. It's also about like the ideas that I had in my head about like what was supposed to be desirable that society gives you is also just kind of bullshit. And that there's mm-hmm. so many different things that are desirable. And I think also not just about me, but like being in a sex work community and seeing like so many beautiful people of like different ages and body types and races and gender identities. 
and being able to see them as like desirable and beautiful, like also changed the way that I thought about myself. You know, it's not as if I thought I was like unattractive or anything, but I think that I hear non-sex workers now talk about like their weight or their flaws in ways that are really strange to me now Mm. that I've been in this for so long, because I think I have a much more like expansive view of, of beauty. Wow. So, wow. This so sex workers really change your life in so many different ways, not just with the income, but not just because of the, the, the type of work, but also like, your views on life, your views on yourself as well. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, very, very transformative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I really like being, like, an older woman in the industry. And, like, sometimes I find it strange because I realize, like, I did a scene a year ago or something with uh, Lydia Love. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you know who she is, but um I'll be following lovely. her after this. I'm, like, getting my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's your, you are internet girlfriend, something like that. Okay. Um yeah, so I did a scene with her, and then I'm talking to her, and I realized that, like, her mom is my age. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> no like, way. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I mean, we just kind of worked it into the scene. Like, we decided that we would be like, oh, this is my first time with an older woman. And um, <laughs> I kind of have to play that, but I also, I really like, um, I really enjoy mommy dom content mm. and, like, mommy dom scenes with some of my clients. So, um so I don't know. I it's been it's been fun because I am older, but I've like figured out how to like play with that. Too. Yeah. Like with with my sex worker like co partners and scene partners, and then also with uh, my clients. So I think it's been good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And like, there is definitely value in being older. Like I I'm turning thirty two this year. And I guess the last time I I was sugaring, actually that was last year, beginning of last year before the pandemic, when I was on Seeking Arrangement, I had a lot of messages in regards to, oh, you're you're actually this age. But they they preferred it that I was older because I actually had experience in life and I'm not just, you know, I'm not just Mm -hmm. like a college student and, you know, I have a bit more experience and I could actually hold you know, great conversations and we can yeah. connect more on those different levels. So Right. And no shade to younger people. No. Like younger people are doing amazing things here. But I yes. think that like for some people, especially for clients who really want to relate, like in terms of life experience, they really value working with people who are older. So yeah. Yeah. There's definitely value in that. I'm so glad you speak so highly and so so possibly about that too. Just in case because I know there's there's a vast array of, of listeners that I have um, yeah. on this show too. So that's definitely very comforting. Um so okay. So camming not a big fan of that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us I don't like the one to many like aspect of it. It's like pretty mm-hmm. I don't know. I really like like much more one-on-one like I still do camming if you consider like Skype shows camming um I do that with my regulars all the time but yeah but the like live shows I'm less interested (laughs) it's too many people at the same time and maybe it's because I am older and like didn't grow up with like um this sort of like chat room culture but I'm like oh my god like (laughs) 150 people are like commenting and I can't talk take in all this information at the same time it's just a little like <laughs> stressful to me <laughs> a little overwhelming that's okay yeah. I mean yeah. I, I tried camming last year and yeah it wasn't for me either um I just felt like 
I'm not used to that type of work. Oh, I forgot to mention I'm a dancer as well, too. Like, I don't mind the crowd, but virtually, I don't know. Yeah. I just felt like I was working really, 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 really hard for really, 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 really little return. Yeah, for me, for like at least. tokens. And they'll yeah. like give you a couple tokens. And I'm like, you just gave me 10 cents. Why yeah. should I show you my tits? I don't, I just can't like wrap my head around this. <laughs> exactly. I have the same sentiments. I'm like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and all you see is like a username. And I'm like, no. I just can't connect with this. <laughs> it's not that personal. But, you know, some people really like that. And some, I know some cam girls that yeah. are just killing it. And, you know, kudos to them. I just can't. I have <laughs> so much respect for them because I'm like, I don't understand how you do that hustle. Like, I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have the right personality for it. I don't know. It's okay. To each their own. And you Yeah, have, totally. You found, um, I mean, your niche in, your niche in um, content creation and also phone sex operation and we haven't talked about this on the show in a long time, but you use um, the platform Night Flirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Night Flirt. And actually, that's probably makes up the majority of my work. Okay. Um, yeah. Inter- yeah. And I really like it. I love the one-on-one interactions. And it's because, because bodies are taken out because you can't mm-hmm. see the person. It's so like intensely psychological and I really <laughs> like that part of it. You know, it tends to be like fairly kinky because the nice thing about um, phone sex is that you can like transcend all like laws of physics and everything, you know, like you can yeah. do things that you wouldn't normally do, you know, <laughs> or, or that you couldn't even do. I mean, that's the thing too, is that like, uh, some things are like fantasies about what couldn't take place, but then also mm-hmm. some things are fantasies about things that aren't necessarily safe that you wouldn't do with, you know, I don't know. There's, like there's a way in which it's a bit like messier. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. Because I think that, I think that a lot of people think that phone sex is more like detached, but actually like I've found that there's a way in which you can like become intensely like engaged in this fantasy that um yeah that you just like wouldn't necessarily do in regular life for all sorts of reasons yeah for sure I think it's intensely intimate to be honest Mm -hmm. for me like I used to offer I mean I still kind of offer um phone sexting so Mm -hmm. which is great but like I sometimes really need to think about and who I'm engaging with to really cater it to them so it is so much more personalized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like with phone sex, like audio, like this, I feel that there's there's a lot more pressure there. But <laughs> I'm just like, ah, I well, think you can also hear like, a, like the emotionality of somebody else. You know, there's something yeah. about like the voice. And when that's all you're listening to, I think there's something that can be like very – erotic and intimate about that yeah yeah absolutely I mean how did you how did you even stumble upon night flirt like how did you get into it well that was the weirdest thing so like um (laughs) I said I didn't know that that existed as a job anymore like yeah in my um in my mind like phone sex operators were like what you saw in those like 90s ads you know the late night ads where it's like call me honey Um, yes so (laughs) I um PJ was doing an interview with somebody um, for his PhD and um, he got off the interview and he was like, oh, it's so funny. This woman that I was interviewing, because he was interviewing people about camming, but he was like, she quit camming. And the reasons that she said she quit camming are all the reasons that you don't like camming. And she's like killing it in phone sex. Maybe like, 
he just thought that she had a personality that was kind of like mine. And he was like, maybe you'll like it. And <laughs> I checked it out. And on the first day that I put up an ad and answered a call, I was like, I could do this forever. This is perfect. <laughs> I don't know. There was just something that I really liked about it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's fun. I like it. Yeah, no, no kidding. I mean, I did an episode with uh, another sex burger, Sultry Sitara, who is on Night Flirt. And yeah, we, we had the same kind of inhibitions about phone sex. And I think the title of the episode was like, is 2020 and phone sex still exists? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it really does. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this is still a thing. Like, that's really cool. And she, yeah, she was able to like really sell it to me as well and I was like oh this sounds really really interesting but I just don't have I don't have the, the time or the capacity yeah. right now to do that but well what is it about um phone sex that you really enjoy because it sounds like you um it is a main bulk of your income there what what other components about um about uh, um, phone sex do you like? I like you know I tend to have I tend to run my business especially at this point like with primarily regulars so I have like a relatively low volume, but they're very like faithful to me. Um, Mm. and so I think that I, I get to know people over like long periods because I talk to them a lot. And so, I mean, and that's not, that's not totally true. I also have people who just like randomly call me, but I tend to keep people on the phone for a long time and learn a lot about their lives and also learn a lot about like their, their fantasies and like where those are coming from. And I Mm -hmm. feel like there's something about the anonymity on their side. It's not on mine because they know who I am, but like Mm -hmm. um, on their side that I feel like they very much like open up about their lives and their desires and their disappointments and their longings in a way that like, I don't think most people have, access to and I mean sex Mm -hmm. workers always have like kind of a unique view into the law into like the interior lives of their customers and Mm -hmm. just masculinity in general (laughs) Um, (laughs) because we just see different things than other people do I think but but there's something about like the the dialogue that that really I don't know that kind of like opens up a window into like somebody's interior lives that I yeah. think is really interesting. Yeah, it's incredibly vulnerable. Um, I, f- I find um, with some kind of like conversations that I have with my regulars, whether it's DMs uh-huh. or whatever, they can get to this point of invulnerability that just a lot of people don't access, Yeah, I feel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, it totally does. Uh, where, where they don't feel like they can share that with very many people and a Mm. lot of people I think even customers in like good marriages I also find because I you know a lot of people think that you know sex work clients are either like uh desperate or um right or in terrible marriages or something I have a lot of clients who are actually in very good marriages but um they're so invested in that relationship that I think that there's there's ways in which they're kind of guarded because they don't want to be rejected by their wife or they don't Mm -hmm. want their wives to have like certain opinions about them or whatever based they don't want they don't want to feel judged by their wives yeah and and you know as a married person like I would prefer it if my spouse was like open with me but I also understand that people have different are coming from different places so Mm -hmm. you know I think that um you know a lot of times I hear from clients that like 
they're sharing stories that they've never shared with anyone. Mm -hmm. And um, that like these spaces that sex workers create, these sort of like bounded intimate spaces are places where um, they can share a part of themselves that they don't share in other, um, in other places in their lives. Yeah. And I'm sure that happens in the club too. I'm sure that happens, you know, yeah. um, in the, in the champagne room. (laughs) (laughs) I've never worked in a club, but (laughs) I'm assuming so. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, as you said, and and that's why sex work is so important because we are Mm -hmm. able to provide a space where it's safe and for you to not feel judged and feel great about yourself. And I feel a lot of civs will often forget that because of the stereotypes and the assumptions that are always out there. And it's just like that same narrative that's always being recycled over and over and over again, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which gets tired. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, I also wanted to speak to you about content creation with your partner. How has that been? I mean, right now in its current form, because I know you entered the sex work industry that way, but how has that changed over time? Well, I mean, that's a really um, big question because um, we used to do a lot of content creation together and that's kind of how I learned how to, how to do it, but also how to like edit and how to put things together is Mm -hmm. he had those skills and I learned and took over a lot of it from him. Um, And I really... um, And he's a photographer, so he has, like, his own, like, sort of aesthetic sense, and so he really enjoys uh, making content. But we we did that for a while, and um, he got cancer. And he had, yeah, he had testicular cancer. And um, four years ago, like, five years ago maybe now, and had one of his testicles taken out, and we thought it was fine. And then a year and a half ago, right before the pandemic, actually, he had his cancer return, but it was like growing throughout his abdominal cavity. So oh my gosh. He, he had chemo, um, three rounds of chemo that was really intense. Um, and that, and this actually ties into like, um, the sex work community too, and how it changed our lives because, mm-hmm. um, he was really sick and hospitalized for a period of like three months. And then by oh. the time, like in and out of the hospital and, we have kids and so sex workers like just moved into our house and like took care of the kids so I could take wow. care of him and sex workers also like raised funds for us so that we could I didn't have to work because I was taking care of him so it was just like an amazing experience like how we were held by the community but also he after his chemo he had a surgery where they took out all of the lymph nodes in his whole abdominal cavity so it's like a very open cavity operation Operation, that really impacted his body and so like we're Mm. 15 he's cancer free now which is great we're 15 months out of all of this um but it was funny so he went through all of this like from November until March and then March the pandemic started so like we were more or less in quarantine like six months before everybody else (laughs) and um and he's really struggling with it. I mean, he, it changed his body a lot, obviously. And, mm-hmm. um, he's, even though he doesn't have cancer anymore, he's like, there's a lot of secondary impacts of being on chemo. And mm-hmm. so he gets sick quicker than every, you know, and stays sick longer. And so he's still working on like regaining, getting back to normal, but mm-hmm. it's meant that, um, he's, kind of receded into the like background and started focusing more on like his academic work because um 
that's something that he has like more energy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's been, it's a very kind of interesting situation where like he was in it and I was doing other sorts of work. And then we for a long time worked together. And then at this point, like we're kind of veering off again in the sense that he's doing more academic work and I'm doing more sex work now. And it used to be the exact like opposite, opposite. when we got together. <laughs> but life is complicated and things happen. And so um, we still run Peep Show together. And that's yeah. something that we've been working on. And there's still a lot of things that we're like, in terms of like um, photo shoots and um, content that we want to do mm-hmm. that is on the horizon. But it's for him, it's been really difficult because he got very sick and, you know, the surgery had a lot of complications. He had six blood transfusions and got like a pulmonary embolism and there was all kinds of things. And so we're just happy that he's like getting back. Yeah. No (laughs) Um, kidding. But sex work itself, like for him in particular has been not obviously at the top of his mind. He's been much more busy getting better. Yeah, no, no kidding. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for sharing that intensely <laughs> intimate story. I mean, that's mm-hmm. crazy. And, and that was so recent too. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it yeah. was um, it was pretty like traumatizing um, for both of us, I think. And yeah. I'm like coming to a place now where uh, maybe in the last, not just now, maybe six months ago or something where I feel like myself again and I'm like working again. But there was a period of time, especially after he got better. So I feel like when he was really sick, I had to be like on for him, you know, and make yeah. sure that everything was going. And so I kind of had it together then. And then when he didn't need me to have it together, I like kind of crashed, which I think is pretty normal of like caregivers. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think we're getting back to like more of a normal space now. So it's been a journey. <laughs> that's, oh, that's so good to hear. And I'm so glad yeah. that you guys are out of the water and he's cancer free. Like that's incredible. Yeah. But also that, um, the amazing resiliency that that you've had I think that's so so beautiful to see and also for the community to come through and to help out and raise money yeah, like, that that's was really so cool. really amazing um and we feel really I think all forever feel like grateful for the sex work community for really standing behind us at a time that we really needed it mm-hmm. yeah I mean it's it's really just so selfless when when people can really help out in that kind of way yeah and and provide support Mm -hmm. so so cool yeah but now he's um you guys are both working on peep show yeah media together which I feel like would Mm -hmm. be just like an awesome segue to talk all about podcast magazine and your media company like (laughs) let's get into it like how did this all start what came first (laughs) um the podcast came first so in like 2017 we were on a road trip and uh we drove to montreal actually that was a whole mess because we took our little baby and (gasps) i didn't we drove up there and then i was gonna fly back early because I had to go back to work um, Mm -hmm. or something. I can't remember. (laughs) And so I had a plane ticket to come back with the baby and we show up at the, um, and he was going to drive back a couple Mm -hmm. days later because he was at a conference or something. And Mm -hmm. so I go to the airport and this is such a weird turn of events. And I'm trying to get on the airplane and they're like, you can't take the baby on an airplane with no passport. And I was like, what? This baby doesn't need a passport. And they were like, yeah, he does. Oh my Um, gosh. And I was like, we got into the country and they're like, that's because you drove and there's different like rules driving and flying, which I didn't know. So 
um, I had to call PJ and was like, we can't fly. We're <laughs> stuck here. <laughs> oh, my God. He, like, dropped us off at the airport. And then I'm trying to go through. And then I, I was oh like, you got to come get us. We got to – we can't leave the country. And so – Oh, my God. But the funniest thing about this is then it gave us this, like, unexpected two-day drive together. Um, and while we were in the car, we're like, we should start a podcast. And <laughs> we spent the whole 12-hour drive over two days, like, planning the whole thing out, branding it. And – then we just started it. And it's so funny because I think if, if my son had a passport, probably this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's a blessing in disguise. So, yeah. So we, um, so we planned this podcast and we were like, and part of the reason was that he was doing these interviews, like I told you about, but because sex workers are considered like a vulnerable population, he had to go mm-hmm. through this full IRB process, which is like the institutional review board through the university, which told him like what he was allowed to do and what he wasn't allowed to do in terms of his oh. research. And one of the things that they told him was you have to use, you have to anonymize everyone. Right. Yeah. And that was really frustrating because like sex workers already use stage names and they already manage their like, social media presence and really like what's in it for them to talk if they can't if their own like words can't be if can't be credited to them you know so um you know and he tried to say that he's like cam girls have like thousands and thousands if not like a hundred thousand twitter followers and they manage their presence all the time this is something that they actually do for a living yeah like sorry they can't be trusted to speak for themselves (laughs) (laughs) which is just ridiculous yeah so I mean, he wanted to give people the option. Like, if you want to use a pseudonym, sure. If you want to use your stage name, sure. You know, you can, like, like you at the beginning of your podcast, like, I think our attitude was always, like, people should be allowed to self-determine and to say, talk about themselves in the way that they want to. Exactly. Um, But they wouldn't let him do that. And so um, we were talking in the car, and he was like, you know, maybe we could create something different where people can decide, you know, how they're talking about themselves and what names they use Mm -hmm. and a podcast seemed like a good idea. So here we go. It was kind of, (laughs) it was kind of out of those discussions about IRB and like how patronizing is it to think that sex workers can't self-determine. Yeah. Um, And maybe if we did something else, like we could kind of subvert that a little bit. And so Mm -hmm. that's what we did. And we started a podcast and then what ultimately happened is that that was running for a while. And then I was asked by the city paper, which is like the alt weekly in Pittsburgh to mm-hmm. write a sex column. And I wrote that sex column for a year and a half. And then in May, every week I you know, wrote a column. And then that right when COVID started, they furloughed me because they didn't oh. have any money because um, alt weeklies are run on advertisements of venues and restaurants okay. and mm. venues and restaurants were all closed. So they had no money. So it kind of put PJ and I in this position where like, okay, well that job doesn't exist and all the publications aren't hiring freelancers. So like as a writer, like I wanted a place to put my own writing, but I also, it wasn't just about me. I was also like, well, where are sex workers going to put their work? If like all of these publications aren't uh, like, it was just a kind of a concern about like the erasing of sex worker voices um, while these media companies are all in a scramble to stay alive. So we thought, why don't we just create, like, we already have this brand, this peep show brand. What if we like expanded it into a 
a magazine, like an online magazine, where I could just cool. continue to write my column, but put it there. But then we could also hire other sex workers to write, and we could also put the podcast up. And so that's kind of where it came from, is we just decided, since everything else was closed, to do it ourselves. <laughs> so that's, that's it. <laughs> That's so cool. And I love that story. Like, as you said, this might not have ever happened. And like, you wouldn't have the yeah. podcast. You wouldn't have the media company. We wouldn't have met. Like, <laughs> It's a good thing I have ADHD and like never looked about the rules of flying with like. <laughs> yeah, it's a little different. We're, we're strict here in Canada for some things, but. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, like, wow, you've been doing the podcast for, yeah, four four years now yeah we took a long break when he was sick yes. we were off for like a while but we came back and then right after we came back we started the website too so wow. that's been fun it's been neat to like expand out and to be able to include writing and we're hoping to as as we're kind of settling into this it's been almost a year may we started it so it's been almost Ooh, a year yeah and um we're hoping to also do other sorts of things like be able to platform like art and like sex worker artists and other things too. So, mm, you know, we just wow. kind of got started. So we've been featuring writing because that's kind of what our, like, especially me, that's kind of where I'm coming from. But we also want to expand beyond just, you know, my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> but the writing has been so powerful and so strong. And as I said earlier in the show, I'm like, oh my gosh, I really need to just like sit down and read through everything because there's so much good stuff out <laughs> <Thank> there. <you. laughs> That's incredible. It's nice to hear that, especially because yesterday I was like just totally abused for my writing, but not from oh, sex workers, oh, from yes. everybody else. <laughs> Let's talk about that for Daily Beast. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen the massive eye roll that Jesse just did. <laughs> No, I was accused of like supporting child rape, which is absurd. Um, Yeah, so this, I was the Daily Beast a couple of weeks ago, um, maybe two weeks ago, reached out and was like, hey, um, uh, and you'll be interested in this as somebody who's done sugar, who's been a sugar baby, but Mm -hmm. they were like, Matt Gates um, said that, you know, obviously got, uh, was made clear that he was using seeking arrangements and met some people on there. And he says he didn't pay for sex. Like from a, um, from a sex worker perspective, what do you have to say about that statement? Can you write an article? And I was like, sure, I can write an article, but like I entered this game at 36. Like I am not a sugar baby. So (laughs) 43, nobody wants like to take me and my three kids and my husband and like my student loans on. So um, let me interview real sugar babies. Um, and I interviewed three people who were either, um, current or former sugar babies and asked them like, what do you make of this statement? What do you think? Um, what is the work of sugar babying or what's Mm. the work of being a sugar baby? What is it that you're selling? Like, and what do your clients think about what do you, what your clients think that they're doing? Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because like everything was sex work, um, or at least what I think everything was sex work is way more like nuanced than like, yes, they're paying for sex or no, they're not paying for sex. So Mm -hmm. all three of the people that I interviewed were like, yes, they're paying for sex, but no, they're also not paying for sex because like, there's so much more about it than just that, which is, I think is true of like all forms of sex work. But Mm -hmm. I think that I wrote a piece that was like, Yes, there's a way in which they are, but also there's a way in which they're paying for something else. And also it's more complicated than that because there's a way in which these 
men don't view it as that they view it as something else as like spoiling someone or whatever which is obviously odd but um I think that um I just think that it's like more complicated so basically I just wrote the story of it's more complicated than that the answer is yes and no but also this is the wrong question like why do we care if people are paying for sex or not like um there was a the real like issue is like you know, between adults, it shouldn't really matter on pro decrim, like all the way, but we're also yeah. talking about a minor and that's a different story. And so like, I made mm-hmm. it really clear in the thing that like, I'm not speaking on minors. I'm speaking on like, do sugar daddies pay sugar babies for sex? That's right. it. Yeah. Yeah. And simple. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they asked me to do. And then in the meantime, so I wrote the whole article and in the meantime, they broke the story that he actually like admitted to it. So the whole story changed before my piece came out like after I wrote it. Yeah. And then the, they broke the news. And then yesterday was the next day after that. I, my story went up and people flipped out, but not only that, they gave it like a really weird title and put it behind a paywall. So people couldn't actually read the whole article. I know I got stuck there. So I'm like, no, I'll give you the screenshots. I'll give you the whole article. Please. But like, it was behind a paywall. And so nobody could read it. And people uh. were just like emotionally keying off on like things that weren't even in there and saying that like I was supporting child rape and, no. um, oh, you know, on and on and on. And I feel like this happens when you get out of like smaller like publications that are really um, or smaller audiences that are already um sympathetic to like sex work and decrim and suddenly mm-hmm. when you're in like the mainstream I, I remember that like people hate sex workers and I forget yes. that because we're <laughs> people such always a, like, hate sex lovey community and yeah. oh my gosh it was a mess and um but the thing that was interesting about it to me and you know as a writer I've like developed thick skin I think because this isn't the first time that I've been like attacked for something that I've written but I mm-hmm. think that <laughs> I was looking at it and I was like these people haven't even read what I said because if they did they would see that I'm not making these claims but I don't yeah. know it's um yeah it's all it was a whole thing and oh luckily I didn't like I've had friends who are sex work writers who've gotten death threats and things I didn't luckily that didn't happen but good <laughs> but people were very angry of course. Or they'll, they'll read the headline and make assumptions about it without actually like reading the article and right. Uh, so frustrating. Yeah. And then they just pile on each other. Yes. And, and it's like a whole Twitter storm of nonsense because that's not even what they're arguing isn't even in the article. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, fun. So that was a fun experience for you yesterday. <laughs> I just kind of like closed my Twitter and I was like, all right. <laughs> can't engage with something that's like not a good faith effort to actually talk about what's going on no no and and I I feel like most of the people that were commenting and dogpiling you were probably sibs and not sex workers right right yeah they don't even understand what's happening in our industry or like how we interact with our clients and there's like a refusal Mm -hmm. to see that too and I think a lot of people and it's a lot of women and I feel like you know I don't want to 
you know, I don't want to say anything that's like uh, super offensive, but the fact of the matter is that like the vast majority of like the anti-trafficking movement and mm-hmm. the abolitionist movement and the second wave <laughs> that's very like anti-porn and anti-sex work is yes. coming from like women who feel like the sex industry is like a real threat to them in yes. some way. Oh, so gosh. that's so disappointing yeah. to hear, you know, when I hear it's, it's usually women that are commenting on, on stuff uh-huh. like this and offering those types of opinions. Yeah. But it feels like just not progressive at all. Right. <laughs> and right. I also it's like they're feel... progressive up until we're talking about sex workers yes. and then like, no. <laughs> we're, we're always left out of that conversation. Right. You know, and yeah, it's just disappointing when like I just hear that women aren't being supportive of other women especially like right with this community we're so welcoming and <laughs> approachable <laughs> yeah, I, mean, you know? I don't want to paint like a totally pollyannish picture i mean there's no. obviously like issues within sex work communities themselves but oh yes but <laughs> <laughs> that's another topic <laughs> oh yeah but yeah it's too big to get into but but i do think that like sex workers as a group of marginalized people that don't have safety nets and don't have like um the resources that a lot of people who are in like straight jobs have, like we do know how to have each other's back in a way that's different than other, other industries or other communities. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I also wanted to ask you quickly as well, when you are writing out to these publications that are obviously accessible to, you know, a larger amount of people that are not in our, our community, how important do you think it is to educate straight, like not straight, but like civilian people yeah. in this? Um, also straight people. Um, yes. <laughs> <too. laughs> um, I swear I've been watching like since the pandemic started a lot of reality TV shows and I'm like, is this what like het straight people are? It's just like het people are like, because this is wildness. Um, no. <laughs> um, I think it is important. I mean, I feel like that's part of my, I feel like that that's my job. And I used to do, a, I mean, I used to do a lot more like community organizing. Um, and I think that I came to a point where I realized that like every, everybody has their strengths and mm-hmm. writing is actually my strength. And if I, I'm better at telling stories than I am at like doing community organizing. And um, that was a really like important realization to me because I think that I think that I realized that my work had to center around like normalizing sex work in the way that I can destigmatizing it in the way that I can. And for me, the best way to do that is through through writing, through telling stories and through like like my podcast, because I think I also like I'm sure you I'm assuming you feel this too, like there's something about letting people tell their stories that like changes the narrative and changes um, people's opinions and like humanizes sex workers. Um, And so um, I do think it's important. I think that for me in the way that I go about things, it's less like teaching in a direct way um, and more uh, just through uh, letting people's Yeah, I mean, I I don't have an eloquent way to say this, but more like um, through storytelling and humanizing and destigmatizing and making sex workers seem like real people um, with their own, which they are, obviously. (laughs) 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 But 
but that's obvious to us and it's not obvious to so many people. Right. And so I think that that's been one of the, I felt like that when I did my column, like when every week in my city, like people could open and read the perspective of a sex worker about like their community and their like um, work and the way that they think about it. There's something really powerful about that because mm-hmm. we're such like an underground community, but to like, for those of us who are privileged enough to be able to, to do so without, um, terrible consequences and not everybody can do that. But like for those of us who can, I think that like pulling some of that out of the shadows and being like, no, we're, we're people who are doing a job and have like a life and families and pets and things like that. Um, (laughs) and are just living our lives. Um, but there's something that can be really powerful about that. And that's what I try to do in my work. Yeah. You've been doing a great job. (laughs) Really, really stellar job. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's important um, in terms of, like, who is distributing this type of media? Like, do you think it always has to be sex workers, like, delivering this type of conversation? Or... You know, I think that's a really good question. I think that there are a few reporters who are doing, like, uh, and journalists who are doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. I would give a shout-out to Sam Cole at Vice at, at Motherboard. She does a great job, I think. Awesome. Um, EJ Dixon at Rolling Stone does a good job. They're not sex workers, but they're people who've been on this beat for a really long time and are, like, invested in the community and their relationships in the community. So I think yeah. that their work, you can see that. The those are two people out of so many. So I feel Mm. like most people don't do it well. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. like they do it well. Um, I think it's super important that like sex workers tell their own stories. And I also think it's super important that sex workers get paid to tell their own stories. Like, um, you know, that, that publications aren't just assigning sex work stories to their staff writers, but are like looking for freelancers and looking for sex working writers to like come in and tell the story. Because I know for sure, like with that daily beast piece, I wrote a much different story than like somebody who is outside of the sex work community would write because to me, sex work is like a nuanced thing that has like a lot of layers. And for somebody outside of the community, it's like impossible to even see that or to recognize that. Um, you know, that being, so I feel like the majority of the reporting should come from sex workers. Mm -hmm. Um, however, like I'm not so dogmatic as to say that like, people like Sam or EJ aren't doing a really good job because what they've done, and I think this is really important is they've like um, made sure to always include the voices of sex workers in their stories to not just do this like thing from above where they're like, this is what's happening in the community, but instead to be like, I talked to the people who are actually experiencing this and this is what they said. So Mm -hmm. I think it's possible to do good work. I think that most of it's not good though. Yeah, no, I agree. (laughs) It's usually in like a negative or less like, very typical kind of sense and as I said earlier just a really like exhausted approach that needs to die (laughs) yeah and I think a lot of it the problem and this is why I think that people like Sam and EJ are different because they're very embedded in these communities but like what I call like the helicopter approach I think is where there's a lot of um very problematic reporting is people who aren't invested in it at all who suddenly think it's Mm -hmm. a oh, I'm going to write about OnlyFans because OnlyFans is in the news and kind of like just helicopter in, talk to a couple of people and don't understand like the complexity of the issue as a whole. Mm -hmm. And their stories are usually damaging to us. Yeah. I don't even want to talk about Kristoff. Like, (laughs) (laughs) forget about that guy. No. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, those stories tend to be damaging to us. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't contribute at all. It's not productive. No, no, Mm -mm. they're not productive conversations, but I have 
just a couple questions that came in from the audience. Sure. Do you think it's about that time for that? So first question is, what does your son, and I'm assuming adult son, think about you doing sex work? Yeah, so um, I'm assuming that question came because I wrote a piece for Trist um, where mm-hmm. I interviewed him, and I didn't really anticipate doing that. Um, but I wrote, I had, I don't know if your audience, I'm assuming a lot of people do, have read or accessed We Too yet, the like mm. sex worker. We Too is a book that Tina Horn and Natalie West put out, um, edited on feminist press and it's a whole collection of sex worker stories Um, and it's really amazing they did a great job of curating I think there's like 70 stories but article that I had written is one of them it's in there and um, it's about sex work being a sex working mom Mm -hmm. and like some of the like fears and issues that that we have in terms of like custody battles or just stigma or how how to talk to our kids about the work that we do. Mm-hmm. And I had written that piece in 2018. So it'd been a while and it took a while for the book to come out. And then when the when we did a book tour, like a virtual one because COVID. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had read, I, I read the article along with a couple of other of the writers um, at this event and at Blue Stockings in New York. And mm-hmm. right before the, um, right before the event, I thought, oh, I wonder if my son would want to see this. And I messaged him and was like, hey, I'm going to do this book tour reading if you want to come you can come and he's an adult he's 19 and I was surprised I was pleasantly surprised when I saw his name like pop up in the like guests and he stayed for the whole time and was afterward texting me and was like that was really amazing I love to hear it and he knew some of the other writers because my kids have grown up in a sex work community you know they know the people who they know who our friends are and so um he was talking to me about it afterward and um, Lola Hunt, who um, is at Trist, mm-hmm. reached out to me and was like, hey, I read your article and I would, was wondering if you could write about this for the blog. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about it and I realized that the reason that part of part of the reason that it was so emotional for me to see my son there is that when I had written that same piece, I was very afraid of people knowing I was a sex worker, Mm -hmm. like in relationship to my kids. And so I felt like, wow, we've like come a long way where like, I can invite my son to come to this event to read this story that I wrote when I still had a lot of fear. And, and I, I have so much less of that now because, because I've been doing this for a long time because everybody knows, but that was really hard fought, you know, that didn't just happen. Um, And so so I asked him, I was like, hey, um, I'm supposed to write about, you know, parenting, but I feel like at this point, um, it'd be more interesting to hear, like, what you thought of it, like, yeah. how, what it was like for you to grow up. And I was actually, this might sound strange, because this was like my kid, but um, I was actually afraid to interview him, because while my kids know what I do, like, I don't ask them how they feel about it, really. Um, And I think I was afraid that he was going to say something like, oh, this was terrible for me, or I just didn't know what he was going to say. And I, you know, you don't want to put, I don't think I asked them, not because I don't care what they think, but because I don't want to put them on on the spot 
or pressure them to like lie to me to make me feel better or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I asked him, I was like, do you want to talk about your experience? And you can say whatever you want to say. Um, It it could be bad too. Um, But I'm doing this article and I feel like it would be silly for me to talk from your guys' perspective without asking you. But obviously I only talk to the one who's actually an adult because minors are, I don't, I don't want to, um, put minors in that situation. No, I don't even think I can. No. um, (laughs) um, (laughs) So he said, yeah, but, um, send the questions to me, um, by email. Cause then I'll feel more free to like express myself than if you're like listening to me. So I sent him these questions via email and got them back and they were so thoughtful and actually like really shocking to me. Um, because I didn't realize how much he picked up on. Um, wow. And so, like, for example, one of the things that he said is that um, is that when he would go to, like, therapists and doctors and things, that he often didn't tell them what I did because he was afraid uh, of how they would, that they would judge me. Right. And oh, wow. That's that's something that I never told the kids. Like, I've never told them don't tell people what I do because I don't want to like, um, I don't really want them to because there's all kinds of like reasons, but I don't tell them not to, because I feel like that would be like silencing them if they have any concerns. And especially with like a therapist, if they need to talk through that, they should be able to do that. I'm not going to tell them not to do that. Um, and also (laughs) I don't want to like make them feel ashamed, you know? And so, I just never told them not to tell people and let them kind of make their own decisions about how they were going to deal with my job. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that he picked up on and knew that I would be judged and like protected me in a way I thought was, um, I thought was interesting. And the fact that he also picked up on the fact that, um, that sex work is just a job and that when he was in, he went to school right next to a strip club. And like mm. a lot of my friends worked at the strip club that was right next to his school. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd be like, Oh yeah, she works next to my school. Um, and I think that, um, you know, he, he said in there that a lot of his friends would talk about it either as being like easy money, sex work as being easy money or Mm -hmm. sex work as being like really glamorous and that he had a really hard time, like, because he saw like the inside of sex work that he knew that it was neither of those things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That sex work was a job and that glamour was a marketing strategy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and And it was interesting to me to see like how he picked up on all of that. But also I think that that's kind of a long winded response, but I feel like what was really powerful to me is like how him and my, my younger son too, um, how they've been really open to, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously, you know, you don't share, like there's boundaries, you know, but, um, in terms of just the idea of the work that I do, they're very open. And I think maybe because they've been raised in an environment where there's tons of sex workers around them, they have a ton of respect for sex workers, Mm -hmm. and they've helped sex workers move. And (laughs) there's just, it's just been a part of their world. And so 
I think that they think, and I know this from my oldest one, I, you know, haven't at my, my younger one is too young to understand anything, but the, the middle <laughs> one, I think that they, I think that they view sex work and me working in sex work in the same way that sex workers view sex work, which is interesting. Like, I think they view yeah. it as a job mm-hmm. and I think it's pretty uneventful for them. And I, <laughs> I think that they know it. I think that they know that it carries a certain like stigma with it, but right. I think that they've just learned to negotiate that because that's part of their world and the way that it's like part of our world. And it's pretty normalized. Like the other day (laughs) I came home. So I do some like Dom work and one of my, one of my subs, like his assignment was to like go buy me groceries and meet me at the grocery store and like put them in my trunk. And that was the whole thing as he like met me and put my groceries in the trunk. And I gave him like this ridiculous list because I don't know, subs like, lists yeah they they like to please you so I'm like I need this and this and this and this and this and it was just these random things that he had to go search in the store for so I come home and my middle son is like why did you buy this kind of peanut butter like because it's not what I normally (laughs) (laughs) he's like why did you buy this and I was like I didn't buy it my and I said my my fan I tend to say fans because that's Mm -hmm. a little more makes more sense to a teenager you know yeah um I was like, I didn't, I didn't buy it. My fan bought it for me and just shut up and eat your peanut butter. (laughs) And he's just like, okay. You know, for him, like the fact that we have weird peanut butter that some guy bought for me because that's my job is he's just like, okay. So (laughs) I don't think that to to be honest, the question is like, it was a really big deal to me, to them. Mm -hmm. I think it's way less of a big deal than it is to me. And it's just been this like normal thing that's part of their life so much so that they're like, oh, well maybe you should tell your client to like buy the peanut butter that I like. (laughs) (laughs) That is so cool. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's so eye-opening and insightful and um, it's just really cool like how how intuitive he he was and also just like how protective he was of you. I thought that was like, wow, that's really, really touching. Yeah. And it was interesting because like I remember my my middle one told me one time um, that he was in a um, pizza shop with his dad and that they picked up a city paper because they're just, you know, lying everywhere in the way that alt weeklies are. And his dad said to him, like, asked him about it. Like, Oh, how do you feel about the fact that your mom writes the sex column in the city? And he was like, I don't, that's what she does. I don't know. And then his, his dad asked him like, well, what would you say if your friends saw it? And obviously I work under a different name, you know, so mm-hmm. I try to like give my kids like that sort of protection. But mm-hmm. so I guess his dad asked him like, well, what will you say if your friends realize that that's your mom and like ask you about it? And he, he told me that he said to him, I would tell them that's her job. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I mean, I think they're just like, it's a job. I don't know. Yeah. I have nothing to say about it. Yeah, like, what do you want me to say? It's just so simplistic. Like, <laughs> right. I and love I feel that. Like kids, I feel like kids are open in that way. And that mm-hmm. we, like, as adults, complicate things. And <laughs> yes. it doesn't have to be that complicated. No, no. That's so cool. I mean, thank you for sharing a response on that. That's so, that's honestly really, really cool and great and progressive of your children. Like, <laughs> amazing. People yeah. of the future. <laughs> 
Um, I guess there's just the one question here. So uh, when can we expect your new book and its contents? Yeah, so it's technically my manuscript is due in December. (laughs) I should be working on it more than I am. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I have a book deal um, with West Virginia University Press. and And it's basically a collection of eight essays, it's eight chapters, and they're all on different themes of of my life and sex work. So one of them, I'm actually going to be taught, one of the chapters is actually going to be on being a sex working parent, like the conversation that we're having. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them is going to be on fat phobia, because I've experienced a lot of like fat shaming, um, but also like, um, positive and negative, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I'm going to talk about like bodies um, in the industry. One of them is going to be on like how I got into sex work and one like I'm just and I'm also going to be talking about illness and disability and how like the sex work community um, created space for like um, things that my family went through as like in in terms of illness and disability. Mm -hmm. So um, so that's basically what my book is going to be about and that I'm working on. It's kind of a hybrid memoir with a little bit of like theory and like sex work commentary and cool. that's gonna be out I don't know it's due in December I don't know I, I've never <laughs> written a book before so I don't know how long it takes to, <laughs> for a manuscript to turn into a book <laughs> well, this is so exciting congratulations on the book deal yeah thank you I'm really excited oh my gosh well I, I can't wait to get my hands on a copy whatever that's gonna be but um yeah maybe when it comes out I can come back and we can talk about it because it'll be like a real tangible thing yes <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> part two yeah <laughs> well before like you go where can we find you Let's see. So I'm on Twitter at sapiotextual, not mm-hmm. sexual textual with the T. <laughs> um, I have a website, jessiesage.com, where you can find all of my articles, but also there's all my links to my erotic content. If you like that, I'm mm-hmm. on mini vids at, uh, as Jesse Sage. I'm on OnlyFans as sapiotextual. So probably my website and Twitter are the best places to go. And those places link out to everywhere else. Yay. Awesome. Awesome. And I love, I love your handle too. That's awesome. (laughs) Like this is so clever. (laughs) Some people told, yeah, I mean, as like a sex working writer, it seems to work, right? Yeah. It's so perfect. (laughs) Some people told me that they followed me just because of my handle. And I was like, wow. And then I think there's probably some people who are totally turned off by it too, but I'm like, it's a play on words. It's not that serious. (laughs) No, relax. Yeah, they're like, uh, sapiosexuality is like ableist. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a joke. Like, yeah. okay. Just calm down. <laughs> I didn't identify as like a sapiosexual. I'm just a writer. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> well, Jesse, yeah. th- thank you so much for coming on the show today. I mean, this morning you're, yeah, I guess now yeah. it's almost lunchtime for you, but Thank you so much for coming on to the show and chatting with me and just um, sharing your expertise with the audience and also your personal story. I mean, everything that you mentioned today was just incredibly insightful. So thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. It was really nice to talk to you. And thanks for having me. You're so welcome. And it's Strip by Sia on Instagram or my personal Sia stuff. It's new episodes every single Sunday. Don't forget to like, rate, share, review, and subscribe. And also do the same for Jesse's podcast, Peep Show podcast. It's also a great resource. And all those links, everything, they're going to be in the show notes if you haven't checked it out already. And we'll catch everyone in for another episode next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.
listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Bellantarama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Dabern.